Welcome to this series from Resurrection Life Church in Granville, Michigan. Good evening, church. How's, how's Grand Rapids doing tonight? I know you're excited because you got on your snowmobiles and you came out to church. So I know you're ready. We had to pack up. I want to introduce my family. We brought out my beautiful wife, Vanessa. She's here with our three kids and my son-in-law down here. And just an awesome time. We just drove up through snowstorms, sunshine, snowstorms, and sunshine. It was wonderful. It was great. And we made it. And we're glad that we're here. And actually, we're honored to be here. You know, Pastor Duane has been a part of our life for almost 20 years. And we've known Pastor Tom, Pastor Scott, Pastor Bernie, just so many of you. And we even have a few of you here tonight from Indiana. And we have those that are watching live right now. So I want to just give a shout out to them. Because I believe tonight God has a word for you to change you on the inside. You see, sometimes we come into church and we're like, man, we're just going to go through the motions, but God wants to break a cycle on some of us. He wants to have us step out, and, and he delivers a word, and I just want to know, are you ready to receive it tonight? You ready to get the word in you tonight? Well, we're going to be talking tonight about what I call default mode, the default mode, but before we jump into it, let's pray. Father, tonight we thank you, God, for your word that sets us free, that there's Nothing that I can say, God, or do physically that can change anyone, but your word changes everything. And tonight, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just pour out in this place. God, just arrest our hearts. Change us that we do not leave the same way we came in. And the church said... Amen. Well, we are here. We planted a church four years ago in Chesterton, Indiana, which we didn't even know what the name of the town was or where it was. God called us there, and that's a long story. But in those four years, we are now in a campus in Michigan City and not just a one prison, but now we're into two prisons, moving into three prisons, preaching the gospel on Sundays in those uh, different prisons. And it's just been an awesome ride. But within 15 years before that, we were in ministry. And what my wife and I saw in almost 20 years of ministry is so many times people get caught in this thing that we call default mode. Where we're living for God, we want something great in our life, but for some reason, for some circumstance, some of us, and I would say tonight, some of you may be in default mode and you don't even know it. And so I want to break it down for you tonight, and I get excited. Is that okay? We're going to get excited as we get into the Word, because God's going to speak to you in your life, because we have seen believers. We've seen baby believers. We've seen uh, people that have believed in God for a long time. We've seen strong believers. We've seen believers that just don't take a, a lot of the Word, maybe just a little. We've seen believers that just started believing last week, and some for 30 years. But what we see that really arrested our heart is when we would see people that God would rescue that he would take out of the miry clay. I mean, anybody here been pulled out of the miry clay? And he begins to put your feet on a solid rock, and you're serving God, and then before you know it, you look at that person, and it seems that they're all the way back to where they started. See, it becomes a slippery slope for some of us, but we have to look at it and say, what is God saying to us? Because God loves you. He loves you, and he wants you to be free, and he wants you to be able to move forward. But sometimes we get caught in what we call default mode. And as a pastor, just let me tell you, it, it blows my mind to see someone who God has set free, transformed their life. I mean completely. I know some of you tonight have been transformed completely, like you're a different person. To see that happen, but then to watch as the enemy comes in and begins to pull you back into that default mode. Like you get saved and you have major changes happen in your life. God begins to do healings, miracles, all of these things begin to 
happen. And then after a while, you start to not see that person. And you wonder why they're not showing up at church as frequently and why they're not serving as much. And, and you've got to look into it and you, you find them almost back where they started. And we say, like, why or how, God, does this even happen? How can God take you and I out of such a place, deliver us, and put us in a place where our life is completely different, and then we get drawn back in? But I'm going to tell you, you're not alone. Because throughout Scripture, this happened to people that we look up to, and we need to learn how to guard against it. I think when this happens, what in the world, and it's so sad, but honestly, it happens a lot. And so tonight, God's going to speak to us. You know, well, some of the reasons that it happens is people get offended. They get offended at church, and they don't want to deal with it correctly, and so they begin to back away. Sometimes the weightiness of just living a life that God has called you to just seems more work than you really wanted to sign up for, and you begin to just let it down and just begin to back up. Maybe there was a divorce or a disaster or some kind of crisis in your life that begin to just knock you and you don't know where you're really at and you wake up and you have stepped back a few stages. Whatever the reason is, the disciplined life that God has called you to, that thing takes effort. How many know anything that is worth working for is work, right? That whatever God has for you, we've got to put in the effort. And sometimes we get to a place, and I want you to know I have those days. As a pastor, I have the days where I'm like, man, can I just quit today? Just for a day. Anybody want to quit just for a day? Your job or something. I mean, you're more spiritual than me. But I, sometimes I just want to quit for a day. But it can't be a continual thing. It can be an episode, but it, I mean, you know, it can't be a season in our life. And God is saying, so I want you to look at a scripture tonight that I hope you're able to really digest in Proverbs chapter 26, starting with verse 11. And the Bible says, a dog that returns to his vomit is like a fool who reverts to his folly. Another version says, to return to their foolishness. Now, there are two reasons, and I hope you're, you came to church tonight and you're going to learn about vomit, okay? I'm just going to tell you, this is how we do it at Road to Life, so you're going to learn a little bit of something maybe you didn't want to learn about, but how many know God doesn't just put words in Scripture that don't mean anything or not for a purpose, it's for a purpose? And there's two reasons why a dog returns to its vomit. Number one is because when it was younger, its mom would chew up the food, kind of regurgitate it, and then feed it back because he wasn't strong enough to eat for himself. And, and I, I listen to that and I think, listen, it does matter. It does matter how you were raised. It does matter what you were brought up doing and learning. Those things do matter. There are generational things. There are things that God wants to set you free from and, and he wants to teach you. Number two is a dog can smell with its acute smelling techniques. It can smell the food particles in the vomit. And so it goes for something that it thinks it's good, but in the process gets the slime, and everything else. And you can chew on that revelation all night. That's free for you. That is a good one. But just knowing that this happens in our life, and that is a revelation that this is why people, we return. And maybe you're hearing like, man, I came to church, and I'm sold out for God. I'm a saved, bought believer, and I'm never going to return back to. Just listen tonight, because I guarantee there's an area of your life that you started to back up when God wants you to push forward. Because it's easy to back up. It's easy for us to go back to what we know, but God wants us to step out into the unknown of our life. And sometimes we think back on memories and we think, man, those were the good old days, weren't they? Hanging out with our friends and having a great time. And we remember those good old days, those moments, those weekends, but we forget the, the hell of the decades that we lived in that God rescued us from. 
and it begins to draw us back how quickly we forget those horrible things, really, that we were without Christ. Those areas that we were in without God. So why do we go to default mode? Why do we fall into that? You would think it would be so obvious to you and I that the way forward is never backwards. You would think that we would understand that, hey, if I'm going to go forward, I've got to go forward. I'm not going to get there by going backwards. But this is what happens in our lives. And yet Christians do this all the time. And it's not brain surgery, but this is a message that God has given us because I believe God is going to set some of us free in this place because we do it because we believe, listen, that the lie of our past, the lie of the past is more promising than your future. We begin to believe that, hey, that thing back there, at least I can go back there and be comfortable and I can know something because I'm unsure about the future. And so that lie begins to draw us to the past. We've been there. We've done that. We understand it. Even if it's dysfunction, how many know? How many are raised in a dysfunctional family? You know, I mean, mine is in the dictionary. I mean, mine is so dysfunctional. And so I was used to it, though. It was almost normal, even though it wasn't normal. And so stepping out of dysfunction into something that God has is dangerous territory for me because I didn't know it. But really, dangerous territory is familiar territory. But God wants to recognize in our life. And so you begin to navigate because it's familiar to you, and it takes no faith, church, for you and I to go backwards. It doesn't take any faith because we're not stepping out. We're not stepping out like Peter did out in the water. We're just going back to what we already know. And so we've counseled. We've counseled so many people throughout the years. We've counseled women who have been abused and beaten and set free from that. And God delivers them just to find them back in another relationship where they're being abused and beaten. And I say, why? And God's like, familiarity. People that have been strung out and addicted to drugs and all these other things, cheated to, lied on, and then looking back in a year, and they're already back to where they came out of. And I say, why? God said, it's familiarity. We, we are familiar with those things. And I'm going to show you in Scripture because you say things to yourself like, I know how to navigate through my emotions. I know how to do this. I know how it's going to go. I've been there, and I've done that. But turning back is ignorant. It's actually foolish, and it's never the way forward. Somebody say amen. But this is what Paul says in Galatians. He's, when he's talking to us, and he's, he's telling them that what they're doing is ludicrous. It's crazy. But these are some of the things that we do. Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? And then Paul goes on. I mean, after he's saying, like, how could you go back? How could you do this? Some of you have said this to some of the people that you love because you see it. But I want you tonight to not look around the room, not look down the road, but I want you to look in your heart tonight. How could we in areas of our life go back? For some of us, it's just Christianity on the comfort zone. For some of us, it's just doing church as the usual instead of what God's called us to. I don't know if you know this, I'm sure you do, but there's an entire city outside of these walls that needs Jesus and is dying and go to hell and we can't be comfortable about it. We got to push forward out of our comfort zone. And so Paul is like stressing this to him, like what is the deal in Galatians? He's going after them thinking You've, you're doing this the wrong way and then he even steps out further. And he says a statement that none of us want to hear from somebody that we look up to or a leader. He's, he questions his investment in them at all. 
Why have I even invested in you? It seems to me that Paul says, my investment, my time that I've spent in you has been worthless. It's been for naught. And it makes absolutely no sense. When you, when you begin to go into a default mode, church, you don't find more freedom. You actually find more bondage. You actually get more caught up, and that's not the worst thing that can happen. Because the worst thing that happens outside of that is the, the precursor for it is Jesus, who was in your life. You're pushing away. You're actually pushing away the only person that really, really knows you, that can really help us. And so Paul's like, what are you doing? This doesn't make any sense, but this is what default mode is, returning to familiar territory because it's easier than walking into the unknown. Some of you this week, right now, I got your gears churning. You're like, man, I've got this thing I'm facing this week, this month, and it's easy for me just to stay where I'm at. I, I, why, if I put up for this job, what if I don't get it? Then they're going to think I'm looking, and, they might, and then they might get rid of me, and I'm getting nervous. What is God saying to you? Quit getting in the familiar and start stepping out into what God has for your life because familiar territory is dangerous territory. Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, it would be better... If they had never known the way to righteousness, then to know it and then reject the command that were given to live a holy life. Why? Why would it be better? Because it's miserable. It's miserable. It's miserable to be living outside or behind or in default mode when you're comparing it to the plan God has for you. It's miserable. Before, when you tasted freedom... You didn't really experience guilt. You didn't understand it. But now, now that God has rescued you, remember he took you out of the miry clay and he set you on a solid rock. Now you're not only rejecting, but you're rejecting what you know was better. Come on. God brought you out of something, did he not? Some of you maybe aren't all the way back, but you can look right now and say, man, I am back. I'm further. God brought me out, but I've been pulled back. That's what default mode is. It begins to pull us back. And it hurts worse because we know what it felt like to be free, but now we're being drawn back. Some of you, it's just comfortability, man. For some of you, it's just God's going to push you out, that God wants to use you, and now he's pulling you back. But before you were born again, your eyes were not open. They were blinded. So what you did, you might have done thinking, man, this maybe isn't right, but you did it anyways. And maybe there was a little guilt in your life, but now, now you've seen the truth. Your eyes have been open. God has delivered and pulled you through. And now you're not only stepping out and feeling that sense of guilt, that this is something that you shouldn't do, but you're sensing the fact that you're pushing away the one that, only one that really knows you, that really knows your life. And so while Paul has confronted the Galatians with the core of why they're turning back, and he's saying, this is foolish, this is silly for you, he mentions in his closing Verse four, chapter four, verse 11, he said, I am afraid that I have labored over you in vain. Paul says, I am afraid that I have labored over you in vain. I don't know about you, but how many of you think it'd be a bad day if your pastor's like, man, I've known you for 10 years and I'm afraid that I have worked and tried to help you in vain. You'd be like, what? I mean, that's what he's saying. And a lot of people would condemn or come after Paul saying, why is he making this about himself? But let me tell you, Paul was invested that he was invested in his people. Just like the pastors here and Pastor Dwayne, they're invested. We're invested in our people. And he's saying to them, man, I've, I've labored. And sometimes I just feel, I'm going to be honest, that I've done it in vain because you, you take a step forward, but it seems like you take three steps back. 
and, and God wants so much more for you, and your pastors and your leaders want so much more for you, and so he cannot separate their success with his success. He cannot separate their failures or their trials without saying, am I doing something wrong, or can I do anything more? Can I help them in any way? And it's not about his churches. It's not about that it's his people. He has a heart for them, church, and he's trying to pull them out, just as a mother or a father cannot completely separate when their child, their prodigal son goes off and never comes back for a while. They can't separate it. They're like, man, did we not pray enough? Did we not do enough? This is what Paul's dealing with as the default mode, and he tells them that it's like he's pregnant. Now, let me just, let me just tell you, ladies, because I'm not going to act like pay attention. I'm not going to change the, I don't have any idea what it's like to be pregnant. I'm just going to be honest. I know what it means when I eat a lot of food, but that's about it. I have no idea. And Paul has no idea. He doesn't know, but he's saying that it's like I'm going through the labor pains all over again. I'm pushing through all over again. And he says that to them because of the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. We know what Paul is talking about. It's like the greater pain that, that leaders and pastors go through as they begin to help people. You've worshiped with them. You've cried with them. You've prayed with them. You've believed with them. And then you see them as they wander from the faith, returning to default mode. And it just kills you on the inside. There's no greater pain. It's heartbreaking. But if one more phone call is the, is the questions that you ask yourself, if one more meeting, if one more connection, could I have helped them? Could I have helped them? Could I have done something in their life? But at the end of the day, if you've given the word of God, there's nothing else. I'm going to tell you, your pastors here have given the word of God. They've ministered the word. There's opportunities. But we still have to rise up ourselves and say, I will not go into default. So tonight, this is, are you guys ready? This is, we're about to get good into it. As hard as it is to watch, listen, you can lead someone to the living water, but you can't make them drink. Amen? I want you to look at Exodus tonight, chapter 6, starting with verse 5. And he says, And I have also heard the groanings of the sons of Israel, whom the Egyptians have enslaved. And I have faithfully remembered my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will free you from their bondage. I will redeem and rescue you with an outstretched, vigorous, powerful arm and with great acts of judgment against Egypt. Then I will take you, my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who redeemed you and brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now here is a people who's been in bondage. We know this story, a lot of us do, under Pharaoh's rule, been enslaved in Egypt for many, many years. But I'm going to show you where default mode comes in. And now I'm talking to every one of us that are sitting in this room tonight. Where default mode comes in and begins to pull us back. We know the story. Moses leads people across through the greatest miracle, one of the greatest miracles in Scripture, where they get to the Red Sea and it parts completely wide open, amazing. And they walk across the Red Sea and then it falls in on the other armies. And then he leads them with a cloud by day and a fire by night and he's guiding them. And when they're hungry, he's dropping manna from the sky. How many of you just wish you could say Big Mac and it would just fall down? This is what's happening. They're living the dream. God God is guiding them, not just by his word, but physically every day. He's with them, just sending them off. No longer slaves. They're free. Somebody say free. free. Now let's keep reading. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I sing praises to the Lord. 
for his great victory. He has thrown the horses and their riders into the sea. The Lord is my strength, the reason for my song, because he has saved me. And I will praise and honor the Lord. He is my God and the God of my ancestors. The Lord is his name. He is a warrior. He threw the chariots and the armies of the Egypt's king in the Red Sea. And he drowned the best of the king's officers. They sank to the bottom just like stones with the tremendous force of his right arm. Our Lord, you crushed your enemies. What a great victory was yours as you defeated everyone who opposed you. Your fiery anger wiped them out as though they were straw. They were so furious that the sea piled up like a wall and the ocean depths curdled like cheese. Church, I don't know about you, but I have celebrated when God has done miracles in my life. I have thrown a party and got excited when God has done something in my life. I have called my wife and people and said, man, look what the Lord has done. But I have never had God split open a sea so that I could walk across. I've never experienced such a miracle where it was physically in front of everybody that was there. Some of us, our bodies have been healed. Some of us, God has financially restored you. Some of you, God has restored marriages. In our church, we've had couples that were divorced for 10 years, five years. God reunited, refixed the marriage. God has done miracles, but we've never seen God do a miracle like this. None of us has had God lead us with a cloud by day and fire by night. And if you have, I want to talk to you tonight. Because I'm going to hang out with you for a little bit. We haven't seen this in our, none of us have done this, but these people did. Listen, they actually experienced it. They actually lived it. They actually saw it. They witnessed the greatest miracle that ever happened on the planet, except for Jesus being born for our sins. And yet, they still fell into default mode. They still question. Let's look what it says, Exodus 17, 1. And then they jump, we're going to jump down to verse 7. The Israelites left the desert, and they moved from one place to another. Each time the Lord ordered them to. Once they camped at Rephidim, and then no water was there to drink, and the people started complaining to Moses, give us some water. And Moses replied, why are you complaining to me and trying to put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty, and so they kept complaining, and Moses did Did you bring us out of Egypt just to let us and our families and our animals die of thirst? Now look at verse 7. And the people had complained and tested the Lord by asking, is the Lord really with us? So Moses named the place Massah, which means testing, and Meribah, which means complaining. You might not think that complaining can be a key factor, listen, to going into default mode. You might not think, well, I just complain every once in a while, but I'm telling you, it is a key factor to going into default mode. What you used to be grateful for, as you begin to complain, now you're critical of. Oh, I just loved this church when it was open, but now, man, I just, I don't know what, is, what the deal is. with. It. And we begin to get ungrateful. Man, this is the thing that God used to save me, but now I'm going to be ungrateful. He took me as a slave out of slavery, but now he don't have the right brand of water, so I'm about to complain about it. I'm going to get upset about it because why would you bring us all the way out here to let us die of thirst? Remember, he split the sea. He led them with a cloud and by fire and manna from heaven. And they're complaining, is God really with us? Look what he says. You might not think that, but I cannot count the number of times that I've watched people growing, taking ground, step by step. God is doing miracles in their life. And then to turn six, eight months later and and see them on their way to default mode. Some of you tonight, 
There's areas of your life that you've been complaining to God. God, did you really just save me to have a life like this? Is there not any more? Is there anything? God, is, there, is, is this just the only brand of water that you got for me? I mean, I thought you were going to do something for real in my life. Some of you, your complaining is becoming critical to what you used to be grateful for. And God wants to separate that in your life. Because just a few chapters back, listen, they were dancing, they were singing, they were rejoicing because God pulled them out of slavery. He made a way through the sea. He destroyed all the armies. They were having a party. And now I'm like, Do you, are you serious? Now you're upset and you have the audacity to say, is God really with us? Really? Is he really with you? Leading you every day, is God really with us? The sea split open, you walk through. I mean, I just want to go back in time and be like, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember the time Michael Jackson fell in love? I sing, it just comes out sometimes, but it'll get you back on track if you were falling asleep. Remember that thing. Most of the time, complainers aren't complaining about big stuff anyways. Most of the time, we begin complaining about nitpicky stuff, little stuff, and it begins to override us. The next thing you know, you're like, is this the only water that we're going to have? I can't believe we had it so much better when we were in Egypt. Let me tell you, there's a difference between seeing a problem and trying to fix the problem with a solution or just trying to talk and complain about a problem all the time. You cannot, church, have gratitude and a bad attitude at the same time. You have to decide what you're going to walk in. Either you'll have one or the other. But do you know what God blesses and what God rewards? Gratitude. He blesses and rewards gratitude. I believe that if we could go back in time at this story, and if the the, the slaves, the Israelites, begin to change the way they acted and begin to praise God, they might have had Coke and Pepsi dropping from heaven and Big Macs and ribs, whatever they want, filet mignon, but they were complaining, and God's like, hey, I bless gratitude. I've done, he's done so much in their life. It's God's will. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Be joyful, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will. To be gracious, to have gratitude, it's his will. And so the real danger for people who are constant complainers is the trap of negativity, of the reality in their life, giving you more to complain about, more to complain about. I mean, don't tell me how bad it is if it's really not that bad. The reality is they didn't have it that bad. God actually saved them from a life of slavery, fed them, led them, destroyed the armies that were after them. They didn't have it that bad. They actually had it pretty good, but they wanted to start saying, well, if it wasn't any bad luck, we'd have no luck at all. I wish God would pay attention to us. We're down here. He just forgot about us. And they're complaining and complaining and complaining. Zig Ziglar said it like this, and I love it. He said, be grateful for what you have and stop complaining, for it it bores everybody else. Does you no good and doesn't solve any problems. Amen? Amen. It doesn't solve any problems. Complain, complain. It doesn't do anything. Philippians 2.14 says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Then you will be blameless and innocent. You will be God's children without any faults among people who are crooked and corrupt. You will shine like stars among them in the world as you hold firmly to the word of life. But this is what the Israelites did, church. They complained. 
They were fault-finding. They were resentful about all the things that God had done for them. And the only thing complaining did for them was won them a free trip to the island of default mode. The only thing that it did is got them to go all the way back to where they were. Look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. The people began complaining out loud to the Lord about their troubles. And when the Lord heard them, he became angry, uh-oh, and fire from the Lord began to burn among them, and it destroyed some of the people on the outskirts of the camp. Look at verse 6. Even the Israelites started crying again, and they said, if only we had some meat to eat. If only we did. I mean, I hear my kids in that part. Remember all the free fish that we ate in Egypt, the cucumbers, the facials, the watermelons, the leeks, the onions, the garlics. But now we've lost our appetite. Everywhere you look, there's nothing but manna. Listen to me. Nothing but. The God of the universe rescues us. Destroys the armies that are against us. Parts the sea, lets us through. Leads us, guides us, and feeds us. And we have the audacity to say, there's nothing but manna. I mean, why don't, church, we need to get to a place where forget nothing but praise God for the manna. Every time I'm hungry, there's manna. God, I thank you that you're pouring out manna in my life. It may not be my favorite, but it's something for me to have. Nothing but. You can see the attitude as they were starving. They could be starving to death, but they're complaining about the manna. Poor Moses, so frustrated. Listen, he was so annoyed. I can understand. He was, of all the whining and the complaining, that he literally said, God, just kill me. Just take me out. I mean, I've done everything you've said. You've done amazing. God, high five that. You were awesome. These people are crazy. They're crazy. You've done it all, and they just won't stop complaining. He literally said, God, get me out of here. Help me out. Moses led his people out of slavery, brought them to freedom, brought them to new life, and all he's getting is a stinking attitude, constant whining, and nonstop complaining from an ungrateful people. I mean, this is, if anything, it's a, it's a definition of how sometimes we can be with God because it's easy for us, church, to shake our heads at the Israelites and go, yeah, that's right, they were doing horrible. Yeah, that's right, they didn't have any gratitude in their life. But better question is, why do we still complain? Why do we still allow ourselves to get pulled into default where we just walk around and complain? I guarantee today, if not tonight, you begin to complain. Wow, the lot's not that plow. Why didn't they pick me up closer to the door? Where's my stuff? Where's the coffee? It's not too hot. We begin to complain and go through our life. We feel cheated of our circumstances. And for some reason, the Israelites seem to feel that God and Moses owed them something. Church, I'm going to tell you, there is an entitlement sensation that's going around, especially in our nation, but God doesn't owe us anything, but he has blessed us with everything, and we have the right to walk in it, and we need to give praise and not go pulled back into the complaining default mode. God, we give it to you because I don't care if you're rich, you're poor, you're sick, you're healthy, you're employed or unemployed. Listen to me. When you hear complaining, it comes from every side of the tracks. Well, if I had more money, I wouldn't complain. Yeah, you would, because there's some people over here with a lot of money, and they're still complaining. Well, if I wasn't sick, I wouldn't complain. Yeah, this person's really healthy. They're still complaining. 
It comes from every area all around. It sounds like the culture of America, and I don't care. We are so blessed that we've actually forgotten that what we were once grateful for, now we've become critical of. We've become critical of our, our, our life and our free country and our church and all of these things because we're getting pulled into default mode. But we must ask, why do we feel this way? Why do we, do we feel like we deserve something else in our life? We don't have to be accountable, we feel like, to authority. We don't have to do those things because I don't like the way they do it. I'm just going to complain about it. But in Exodus 16.3, we read, if only they said, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. If only we would have died in Egypt. Forgetting what it was like in Egypt. Church, God has saved us. And if you're here tonight, he has changed your life. And we're, we may be hungry, but we're not starving. And we may be cold, but we're not freezing to death. And we may be alive in, in the process, but God's got more for you to have and to do. But you've got to get ready for it. And I want you just tonight, real quick, to stand to your feet for a moment. Because I feel like God is speaking to some of you. And your default mode that has been drawing you is about to be released. But you have got to cut it. I want you to bow your heads just for a moment, close your eyes just for a moment. And I want to ask you this question, this simple question. If you know God as your Savior, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, have you allowed the cares, the worries, the pressures of this world to pull you back into default mode? I'm not talking about all the way back. Some of you are like, well, I, you know, I'm not all the way back. I don't care if you're all the way back because by then it's almost too late. Are you allowing it at all? And then my second question is, are you here tonight? And if you stood before God, you wouldn't be right with him at all. You're not sure. Because God wants to do the miracle that he's done in others' lives in your life tonight. See, we're talking about two types of people tonight. Those of us that have received Christ's miracle but allowed what we were grateful for to make us critical. And then the other group is those of you that need Christ in your life. You just need God. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor because I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. If you're here tonight and you're in default or you need Jesus, you want to know. You can leave this place tonight knowing that you know that God has you. I want you to lift up your hand. No one looking around. It's between you and God. God, I want to know. God sees your hands all over. He sees your hand, your hands, sees your hands. I want to know that I know. You can put your hands down. I want to know that I know. The thing that jazzes my, that just, the thing that I live for, my wife and I, we live for is when people step into what God has for them. When they become free, when, when they're in bondage and in slavery, and God rescues them with his mighty hand, and you step out. And then once we're out, church, listen to me, you got to be very focused on not falling into default mode. Well, it used to be like this, and I don't like it like this, and boy, the music's like this. we got to be careful not to go to default, because then once what you were once grateful for, you'll be critical of. 
I, wanna, I just want to pray. I got like a minute and a half. I want to pray with you tonight. So I'm going to count to three. Listen to me. If you raised your hand, I'm going to ask you to do something crazy because faith without works is dead. I'm going to ask you to say to the person next to you, excuse me, but I'm going to go up here and I'm going to get prayer. I'm just going to pray over you real quick. When I count to three, God is going to meet you here and you're going to leave this place knowing that he's the Lord of your life. One, listen, the devil is a liar. He wants you to stay where you're at, but God wants you to be free too. God will meet you and your life will become rescued tonight. He will split the seas of whatever you're facing. Three. Church, let's give him a hand. If that's you, move right now. Come up here with me. Thank you, God, for your word tonight, Lord. Come on. Anyone else? We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it. Come on. Come on. Thank you, God. I I say this at our church a lot. In Romans, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. The prayer means nothing if you don't mean it in your heart. And so we're all going to say this prayer. And if we mean it in our heart, if you're here or you're out there, God knows and you're going to be right with God. Say this, dear Jesus, tonight I give you my heart. Wash away my sin. And I will serve you for all my days, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Give them a hand, church. Give them a hand. Thank you for listening to this series. For more information, call 616-534-4923 or visit us at reslife.org.